0: clear my throat. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Oh my Lord have mercy. The latest, greatest episode of the Nest and After Hours podcast presented by People's United Bank, is now in your ears. I'm Emerson Lazia, CLA like Godwin, usual suspects. I am fired up for today's episode. We have an all-star guest with us, someone you and I go way back with, although you can't spell his name right.
1: Uh Jesus, he would already instantly throw me under the bus on this. Like, let's go.
0: <laughs> God,
1: you know, I can't, I can't live a little around here. Uh, yeah, Ryan S. Clark of the Athletic. Uh, we're going to be talking nothing but hockey today, just because. When the hell are we going to get hockey back? Are we really going to see it on January thirteenth? Is there a bunch of other stuff in the works? Like, is that date actually feasible? But uh, yeah, Ryan, he covers the Kraken, as well as just all of the NHL for the Athletic. Uh, Ryan, uh, you've just conducted a move from Colorado to Seattle, which you've lived in Seattle before, but moving in the middle of a pandemic. How, how is that?
2: It's about like anything, I guess, with the pandemic. You just try to be safe and responsible. Um, I mean, the good thing is you can stay in the car while you're doing it, but for the most part, you just – wear a mask and just silently judge people who aren't wearing masks and don't realize like, hey, I really don't want you coughing on me and spreading a deadly pathogen, because that would be really, really
1: bad. But Ryan, are you all settled in everything? Um, getting adjusted to a new team in the middle of a pandemic is kind of hard.
2: Yes and no. I mean, the interesting part, of course, is there's no roster, there's no players, there's no game. So that's something you don't have to worry about for – at least another seven or eight months or whatever the standard draft is going to be. But at this point, it's just doing stories that people may not necessarily think about, but are vital things to a team. So like from the playing perspective, it's, Hey, they built an analytics team. Why is this important? Or like who's going to be like the the carrier for their games on TV and radio? Like this is stuff like if you live in Boston, it's like, well, duh, we know this because it's been around for forever. But if you're getting, a brand new team in a city that hasn't had hockey in several decades. Like these are valid questions. And then of course there's other questions that we'll answer over uh, the course of time, but no, I mean, it, it's been a little bit different compared to if I was still covering, let's say a team like the AB that we're actually playing this season.
0: I mean, go for the kraken they don't have to worry about dealing with whatever the end up, whatever the hell ends up happening like this season. Um, Ryan, what the, what does it mean that Gary Bettman has reportedly reached out to Dr. Fauci?
2: You know, It's one of those things where it's a prudent move, and at this point, when you look at not only just the NHL, but every league, Emerson, it's a move that has to be done, because not only are you talking about just the NHL in the sense of, okay, you're going from being in a bubble to now you're going to try to play games elsewhere, but it's like, what is the right protocol? Like, How is it to be safe? Because we've seen the NFL go through this, and it seems like for the last several weeks, there's always something about hey, this team is being exposed, that team's being exposed. College football is going through the same thing, living here in Seattle. University of Washington's not playing in the Pac-12 championship because they are dealing with COVID as well. So to meet with Fauci, really to meet with anybody who is an expert in this, it's a move that Gary Bevan and every commissioner has to make because, I mean, it's two simple truths. The first is, you are talking about the safety of your league and your players. And that's something that if you're there, like it's going to be a public relations fiasco. But then the other thing, and not to be cynical, but like every league, what do they all have in common? They're all trying to make money at a time when everybody's losing it.
1: Is January 13th still feasible in your eyes, Ryan? Oh,
2: need it. The thought is, it, it, it seems to be, so our Pierre Lebrun tweeted this morning how this is still the plan the powers that be want to try to follow through on, but of course it is December 17th as we're recording this podcast. So yes, you know, there's going to be a truncated season, but what this training camp look like? Sure. You might try to build in some days where you say, okay, we know that this process could take a little bit longer, but that's the schedule that it seems like they're married to, but with each day, something doesn't get formalized or finalized. It's another day you lose and it's another day of skepticism whereas if you again look around at let's say the nba i mean games are already being played in preseason, and you know it's it's pretty clear this is when the league is going to start
0: so i'm looking at it, it's like so today ideally would be dropping the puck then and seals feel free to chime in here and like in less than a month and i remember talking with andrew raycroft like last week on ness and after hours or may it was maybe it was the weekend show i can't remember but that just seems like a really quick turnaround and my question to you here ryan is what do you think the impact of play what's the impact of a quick turnaround going to have on play at least starting out
2: it's going to be interesting just because at this point players are coming from this from different perspectives so if you play for the tampa bay lightning and the dallas stars your recovery time is going to be so different than that of the buffalo sabers which the sabers have not played in what is it nine months now um and so Yes, it's going to be different for those players. But at the same time, it's like, what does this mean for people in terms of off-season conditioning? And I know that sounds like a very blasé topic, but like in some ways, there's been more time to do off-season training and conditioning than, than people might realize. So it's a matter of just what does this look like? And so in some cases, I mean, you could see players pick up injuries either because of conditioning or better yet. I mean, when you think about the truncated season, there's an executive we spoke with yesterday we were talking about the NHL trade deadline, whatever that might be. And he was like, let's say it's maybe March by March, you are going to have 30 games. You're going to have a really good idea of what this is going to look like. And so if you're doing that, where it's back to backs and, you know, four games in five days or six days, like something is going to happen. Um, So that's the impact is just, if your team and organization is deep, that should benefit you because tell me someone's going to go through a 56 game season, The many games back-to-back, and no one's going to get hurt.
1: Uh, There was reports about the league potentially doing a private purchase of the vaccine, and then another report to kind of clarify that, talking about how they're obviously not going to skip the line. Any any updates on on that and what that might mean for the league, how that actually might happen? Well, right now it
2: seems like the plan is just the NHL is just trying to get the vaccine, but of course it's going to come with the understanding of hey, is this another example of where sports in a league are skipping the line in front of people at a time when just this vaccine, it, it can change a lot. I mean, I think we've all seen the videos on social media of healthcare workers seeing this vaccine and breaking into tears. And so right now, it seems like it's a conversation the NHL is still having, but they're having it with the idea that this has to be handled a certain way. Because again, if you're the NHL, yes, you're a business trying to make money, but how do you justify, hey, we were able to skip the line at a time where when you look at, let's say, the U.S. and Canada, Canada, of last check, I want to say maybe a couple weeks ago, had 460,000 COVID cases. The United States has 16 million. And so while you're trying to get a league going and you're trying to play games and make money, especially as you're trying to get a new TV, TV deal done, there has to be that understanding of here's the real world compared to the world you're in.
0: What do you think about the potential divisions that have been like laid out, including like an all Canadian division? <laughs>
2: yeah, let's talk about the all Canadian one. I mean, that's really gonna be interesting just because it's like, it's, it's the travel of it, but it's also just going to be, if you are a rights provider in Canada, so let's say Rogers Sports Center, TSN, it's gonna be one of those things where it's just like, it's going, I mean, hockey up there clearly is easy to sell, but especially up there, it's going to yeah. be even more so because you're going to watch Edmonton and Calgary.
0: And they're craving. They always are asking more Canadians. They're always asking for more of those all-Canadian-like matchups up there on
2: television as well. No, I mean, and, like, it's not only that, but, like, it's a chance to maybe get ex- – I'm not well, it's maybe a chance to, let's see, you see other teams and see their progress. So, like, let's take yeah. a team like the Ottawa Senators. Like, the Senators are a team that have struggled a lot lately, but they're a team that looks like they might be able to do something. Who's to say what they look like in this? Who's to say what the Canucks look like? But then when you go to the U S like how these divisions are going to be broken down, is like really interesting. Cause at one point it's like, where does St. Louis go? Do they go to the central? Do they go to the Pacific? So with the divisions, I mean, yes, it's all about traveling and and making it easier, but what's really gonna be fascinating is like, are you going to now see rivalries that may have not existed because teams are playing each other all the time. So going back to when players were in the bubble, a couple of players I spoke to said, you know, it was interesting because at first you get there and you see someone in the elevator in the hotel, and it's like, oh, hey, how's it going? It's good to see you. I have the family, so on and so forth. But then when you see them six days in a row and you're playing against them, they are just like, dear Jesus Christ, go away and never return. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, when it comes to the Bruins, how do you, how do you think their division stacks up for them? Do you think it's easier, harder, about the same?
2: It's probably about the same just because one of the things the Bruins do so well when they are healthy. And again, that's when they are healthy is they play a multifunctional sort of game. And that like, if they need to use speed, they can do it. If they need to be physical, they can do it. If they need to use more technique and finesse, they can definitely do that too. So it's just for the Bruins, it's probably going to be more about just what do they look like as opposed to what the competition looks like. But either way, when you think about it from their perspective and really for a lot of the teams on the East coast, the travel is going to be something that's going to be something not only that they're used to, but in some ways it's probably going to be a lot easier because you're just going up and down, you know, oh, that's man. really travel, it. a like, good. That, that's kind of, a good I, point because,
0: like, the Bruins go forward, go have – No, I was going to say the Bruins have, at max, an hour and a half flight when you're talking, like, Buffalo, New Jersey, New, you know, both New York teams, Philly, Pittsburgh, and Washington. Like, super easy.
2: No, I mean, it's exactly, and that's the whole thing. Whereas, if like, let's say you're one of the Canadian teams, like if you're Montreal or Ottawa, yeah, going to Toronto is not really a challenge. But then when you start looking at those flights to Winnipeg and Calgary, then Edmonton and Vancouver, like that's a lot of mileage. And it's the same thing with teams on the West coast. Like if you're the San Jose Sharks, you got no problem playing in California, going to Nevada, going to Arizona. Cause again, it's such simple travel. Whereas if like, again, those Canadian teams, it's going to be really interesting.
1: But that's everybody's battle. Uh, coming into the next year or two as well just because of how old the pandemic has been but definitely starting from scratch uh, you know like you said you don't have that cushion that you don't have that fallback if you exactly. already have reliable guys in your system so I, I definitely get that that's that's a unique struggle for the Kraken coming up this year
0: it's already uh, been a, a historic start for him without even playing one game making history in the broadcasting booth what is it Ryan?
2: Well, they hired Everett Fitzhugh to be the first black team broadcaster in NHL history. And so with Everett, he's already been busy. So they've had him do a bunch of different online uh, shows like Friendsgiving. There was a series they recently did that they're going to try to continue where they go around different parts of Seattle and the Metro to kind of introduce people to like, hey, here's this part. So like, for example, there's apparently like a little Norway or little Scandinavian Seattle, which I mean, who knew? Uh, so Everett went around and did things like ax throwing, which I'm sure that was on the job description, <laughs> but. Uh, I would love so to no,
1: do ax throwing.
2: No,
0: actually I do not want to see you with an ax in your hand. That's frightening
2: to me. I'm
1: already scary enough. I know.
0: Yes, you are. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no comment. Um, Thank you. <laughs> no, no comment. Cause, cause, Cause you know, I mean, there's a joke in there somewhere but I'm not going to make it. I mean, oh, man,
0: listen, it is. There, there, I, I saw a I mean, look on her face the other night. <laughs>
2: It's not that. It's just so much like there could be a joke about a Florida State grad throwing something that goes the wrong direction and not be that accurate. But I won't <laughs> make that joke. Um, next thing you know, this is going to end up on a Florida State message board. Like, damn him, we're glad he yeah, but, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, like, but any, anyway, be serious. Um, so like with Everett, and, and the reason that hire was so big other than it just it made history. It's like when you look at what the Kraken have done, they've made a really big push in terms of diversity, inclusivity, and, and it's kind of uh, a theme that exists in a lot of things they do. So let's take their training facility, for example. Todd Humphrey, who's the person overseeing that project, when him and I spoke for a story we had on The Athletic about kind of the latest, he was saying that with this training facility, we wanted it to be something for everyone in the community, not just the people who live near, or the people who, you know, you know they're gonna be cracking dance, but like everybody. He's like, we don't wanna have the same country club sort of feel that you often associate with hockey. And so with them, when you look at their hires, I mean, their feeling on diversity is this: it doesn't take much to make the extra phone call, to look at the extra resume, to do these extra steps needed if it means having the best staff possible. Uh, But at the same time, like they don't also want to hire for the sake of having diversity. They want to hire people who are some of the best at what they do. And when you look at Everett you getting that job, I mean, he was the only black Uh, play-by-play announcer throughout any level of professional hockey in in North America. And so he was in Cincinnati, and he was someone that people talked about, like the Washington Capitals that actually invited Everett out to do a preseason game, which was a big, big thing for him. So he had been on some radars, but then, of course, like when he got hired, it was really fascinating because Everett didn't know this story. So the day it, it, it was announced, Let's just say we were able to maybe do some reporting before the announcement, and and (laughs) And one of those people may or may not have been Todd Lewicki, the CEO of of the Seattle Kraken. And the point Todd made was he was like, with all the research we did on Everett, we kept hearing amazing things about him. And one of the people we heard from about how this guy is a superstar in the making was from Mike Stock Emmerich. And when you have that sort of praise, and you're a guy in the ECHL, that means a lot. So that's Everett's story.
1: That's it's an incredible story. But uh, I know sometimes you don't like us talking about you, but now now we got to talk about you, my friend. Um, the oh, first hey, full- what
2: do you know? My signal is scrambled. I can't hear you. <laughs> no, no, you. No, yeah, yeah, no. yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway,
1: I'm going to continue while his signal is scrambled, air quotes. Uh, the first full-time Black and Latino hockey writer, not just for the athletic, but, but all of hockey, Uh, What goes through your mind when you hear that you're the first to do something like that?
2: Well, I mean, like, there have been Black people who've covered this league. I mean, like, I mean, you have had, like, Tarkil Bashir and Eric Stevens. um, And they're people I work with and they're people I look up to. um, And we are starting to see more Hispanics and Latinos cover this league. Um, But I guess to think about it in that context, I mean, I don't know. I don't really try to think about it too much because uh, like I've had friends of mine and I've had people I mentor be like do you realize what this means and how big of a deal it is and like guys I'm not John Lewis crossing the Edmund Pettus Bridge, but yeah at the same time um I mean it means like you get a chance to tell stories that I think it I mean you two get this better than anyone that I think when you're not in this industry you look at and you go this seems so obvious to me why isn't anyone writing about this or reporting on this and now that you're in this position, you get to do that. And hopefully you get to show people whether they're in this industry or wanting to get in this industry or not even thinking about getting in this industry. Like, yeah, you're not the only person noticing these things and here's why it matters.
0: How, um, how do you change the makeup and like attitude of an overwhelmingly like white league? I guess like, what do you like what the NHL is doing to try to help diversity in the sport?
2: The the thing that the NHL is always going to get pinged on, which a lot of leagues are going to get pinged on, is why now? I mean, let's look at Major League Baseball with the Negro Leagues. yesterday. I mean, they've had Jackie Robinson Day in in existence for more than 20 years. They've had a civil rights game that, that hasn't been played since 2015. So why now? And, you know, that's the uncomfortable truth a lot of leagues have to, you know, understand and realize is, like, we know why now but like why not before and with the nhl you know it's a very complicated answer because this is a league that has shown they can talk about really serious big picture issues like it's let's so let's take bells let's talk that's an example of how this league can talk about something like mental health you talk about like you can play in hockey is for everyone it is clear that this league can talk about lgbtq fans and the issues involving that and why that inclusivity is important, why growing the women's game and getting more women is important. But when it comes to race, it seems like really until George Floyd, that's always been a difficult conversation. And we know why it's difficult, because it means people have to face some certain realities that they may otherwise want to ignore. And so when you look at the NHL, you know, the thought right now is for every step forward, there's a step back. So like you look at when Matt Dumba became the first player to kneel after his speech, when the Oilers played the Blackhawks, like people looked at that as, wow, this is an amazing step forward for the NHL. But then when every other league is boycotting games and the NHL is still playing and their boycott comes later, people go, it's a step back. And that's the reality of this league is like, whenever it seems like you're building momentum, there is an event that happens shortly thereafter that makes people go, what's the best way to measure it? Like, is it always going to be two steps forwards, two steps back?
1: It's a frustrating thing to watch. And like you pointed out, while other leagues were, were taking a unified stance, it felt like the NHL was, was not really all there. The unified response wasn't all there. Um, I'm hoping that moving forward, we'll see more of a, a unified approach when it comes to, topics like
0: this one I, seals um, for sure. Like goes, just going off of that, I, I feel like there is ample evidence. Like the NHL knows it has like a racism problem. I mean, it's hockey for everyone campaign. I thought was like proof of that. Uh, Ryan, like it's, it's slate of black history commercials here that, you know, which featured no black players in 2020, like that's proof of that as well.
2: Well, but you know, and here's the thing about that though. So when you look at the NHL and this point has been made, Whenever we talk about black players, of course, Willie O'Ree is the name that comes up. But like, should this always be the only name that comes up? I mean, an example would be like, take the Edmonton Oilers. And Everett, this and I've had this conversation several times. So Everett grew up in Detroit, but he is a diehard Oilers fan because growing up, the Oilers always had black players. Like when you look at the Oilers right now, they're one of the most diverse teams of players like Caleb Jones, Ethan Bear, Jadar Kara. Darnell nurse. I mean, like it is there, but for some reason, people just don't really think about this or understand like, Hey, look, this representation matters for a lot of different people. And it's example of how this game is changing. But, you know, I mean, even, even like when you have these discussions, it, it, it kind of comes with this understanding of how do you evaluate the NHL? So if you're evaluating the NHL to let's say the NBA, the NFL and major league baseball, Major League Baseball is the league of Jackie Robinson, and it's a league that has had these conversations. And yes, there, there are leagues that there are people who criticize how this league is still handling race, but like at least it's been there for decades. The NFL is still going through that conversation, but it's been had for a long time in a lot of different ways, whether it be around can black men play quarterback? Why don't we have enough black head coaches? Why don't we have enough black head uh, excuse me general managers? Or people of color or owners or just anyone who's a non-white man in these spaces and with the NBA I mean there's a lot that can be said but the big one is they removed Donald Sterling and how often would you see something like that in sports where there's a, a collective decision to say we can't have this where is it with the NHL by comparison like it's entering this conversation for the first time and it's entering it late but what hurts the NHL is There's the crowd that says, well, everybody needs time. But then there's the crowd that says, okay, NASCAR banned the Confederate flag and stood with Bubble Wallace. And when NASCAR can make this sort of move that lets people know, here's where we stand as a sport, what's the NHL's excuse? So it's a question that's got to get answered, but it may not take, put it like this, it's going to take time to get an answer, and even it might not be an answer people are completely happy with.
1: I, I i hate those types of excuses because that's exactly what they are is, is
2: excuses to think about this kind of like not only are we doing this podcast and like are you two working for nesson but it's just kind of like where i've seen you both come from because like with emerson him and i first met at the park this the high school gym because they were retiring trey mason's number which like oh
0: my god that is not a
2: throwback pool. i don't know Holy what is yeah you got i mean, it. like
0: yeah. just think about like what a NFL bust he was. It's just really unfortunate. <laughs>
2: I, I, I was just thinking about the fact that I got the interview with dad and we talked about De La Soul and hip hop for like oh Hell yes. Hell um, yeah.
0: His mom was yeah. really cool too. His mom still sends me emails with uh, really? like real estate, real estate listings in like South Florida. Cause she's a realtor there.
1: Wow. Okay. I know. Like, yeah, hey. yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, Super <laughs> tight, super tight with the Mason family.
1: Right. Ru- right. Ru- Ryan, Ryan and I, don't go that far back, but I I met him when I, when we were out in Colorado and I was actually just about to, to leave, which I was really bummed about, um, because he had been already riding there for a little bit and we knew of each other and he had covered Florida State. He was in Tallahassee for a little bit, um, working down there. And so like, we had all these connections, but like, I didn't get to cover the abs really while I was in Denver. Um, but I remember when he came into, to, to nine news where I was working at the time, he was coming in to do a hockey podcast with a, with a couple of the guys that were, you know, big abs fans that worked inside uh, the newsroom. And I was like, oh, finally I get to meet him. And um, that's where our friendship started. But it's just wild that now all of us are in different places yet still coming together kind of in the same way um, because of
2: sports, small world. I know. And then just think once we can travel again, who knows, I might come out to Boston and hang out. Well,
0: I want oh, to yeah,
2: but, but, but no, I wanted to hang out with Emerson, but the last time I saw him, he was just like, no, I can't. I have to go look in the mirror and tell myself how awesome I am before the show. <laughs> that's it's like, true. It's like, all right, Emerson, every good day luck with that
0: it's like that meme with the guy looking in the mirror and like pointing. It's like, why are you the way that you are? <laughs> that's, that's me looking in the mirror.
1: <laughs> I tell you Listen, that on TV all the time. Why are you the way that you are?
0: Yeah, no, it's it's very true. And that's why I'm always like, explain it to me like I'm five, you know, like when we're out there like having a conversation on set. I'm like, I don't get it. <laughs> Stop using big words.
1: Explain it to me like I'm five. Uh Ryan, any stories that you got in the work that you want to tease up?
2: I can't give that stuff away. Come on. Oh, no, come but, on.
1: No, but to I'm be trying to, I'm <laughs> trying to like generate, you know, views and clicks for you, bro. Come on, help me out
2: here. Well, there is this thing called Twitter, Um, (laughs) but but no, but to be serious, I mean, like there are some things coming up in the works and it's just, how do you stay without giving it up? It's one of those things where it's just like, I think one of the cool parts about covering the Kraken is you get to do these stories that people aren't thinking about, but like when you write it, it's like, Oh yeah. How is that going to work? And so there's going to be some things like that coming here very soon. So Hopefully it's stuff people go, wow, I'm glad I read that. And if it's not, then, well, sorry, I guess. But, uh, but no, <laughs> sorry, I, not I, sorry? I, I mean, like, it, it, it should be interesting. But, uh, but like, for example, which I know we just finished talking about Nesson, but, like, living in a place like Colorado, uh, unless you're a super, super sports television nerd, if you're an Avalanche or a Denver Nuggets fan and you have Comcast, you've not been able to watch the Avalanche or the Nuggets.
1: They've been in a unless blackout it's on, out forever. Um, um,
2: unless it's on ESPN or NBCSN or NBC, because Comcast and Altitude uh, have not agreed upon a new deal and Altitude is suing Comcast for antitrust. And it's this whole oh, thing. Geez. It's a whereas mess. Like, it's a like, mess
1: and it's not just the Avs. You can't watch the Nuggets either.
2: Yeah, exactly. And so like, but not only that, but like then when you come to Seattle, Like these conversations about what network are they going to be on? Again, like if you live in Boston, you're just kind of like, well, of course the Bruins are going to be on Nest and like duh. Whereas if, like, if you live in Seattle, it's like, well, which RSN do they go with? And what does the model look like now? Because I mean, is it one of those things where they locally televise their games and their streaming partner is Amazon? Because I mean, Amazon is a local company, and which that's weird to say for someone who's never lived in Seattle. You're like, oh yeah, I work for Amazon. It's a local company. They're a small startup. Maybe they've got a future, but um, but they already have a partnership with Amazon because of the naming rights. And so, like just things like that. Again, it, it can be kind of nerdy and in the weeds, but at the same time, like it's one of those things that just you don't think about, but like it is important if you're a fan. So yeah, more stuff like that. At least that's the plan. Love it, babe. I mean,
1: we could literally sit here and talk to you about a million different things just because of our history and just, I mean, you're not just knowledgeable in hockey, but like you're knowledgeable in a ton of other sports because you've covered those beats as well. So, I mean, literally like I'm looking at the clock and I'm like, wow, we've been talking this long. And I mean, it's just, I've been locked in. You're the a rock star, through.
0: dude. Locked yeah, in yeah, man. The that's, through. And that's Ryan that's, S. Clark without idiot. an E. No that's E. e, no, e. no E on Ryan S.
2: Clark. Idiots. Do you yeah. two want to explain that, or, or, or do I need to call out both of you?
1: Oh, so my my phone for the longest time, when I first met Ryan, I just plugged in his name incorrectly and never changed it. And so now when I type mm. out his name, it types it out that way, and mm. I did not correct it and sent it to Emerson, and Emerson sent it back with the same misspelling. And then I sent a screenshot of it to Ryan, and, and Ryan promptly and deservingly (laughs) so called us out
2: (laughs) that was was just i'm just glad
1: it didn't ruin our friendship
2: (laughs) i mean who's to say it didn't i'm just here because like it's goodwill to build my brand um i mean hey people in new england love reading about the kraken so that's the reason i'm here but uh But no, I just like giving you two a hard time. You know how we can take it, baby. Uh,
1: Ryan, seriously, thank you so much for coming on today. Um, I I can't wait to to see you in person, Um, see you at a game. Hopefully, when all of us can actually go to games once again. I'm going to
0: give you the biggest bear hug, buddy. Just get ready for it. Start preparing now.
1: It's, it's going to be intimate, and, he, and I cannot promise that his hands won't go places where they're not supposed to.
0: You jump. I jump, Jack. So Anyway, Ryan, you can leave now. We love you. <laughs> All
2: right, guys.
1: Take care. See you, Bye, Ryan.
0: Cool
1: All righty, guys. Uh, that's going to do it for us. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, it was an absolute joy to have Ryan S. Clark on our podcast. It is the Nesson After Hours podcast presented by People's United Bank. Enjoy the snow, we will see you next week.